0: Welcome back to Sustainability Speaks, we're your hosts, Stasia and Saskia.
1: On today's podcast, we're excited to welcome the founders of Saltico. Would you guys like to introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your backgrounds, how did Saltico originate and how did you guys meet?
2: Hi, I'm
3: Julian, I'm CEO of Saltico. Yeah, I'm Finn, I'm CTO of, of, of Saltico.
4: I'm Antonia. I'm CPO of Co. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nelly. I'm the COO
3: of SaltyGo.
2: Um, we came about from a double master's program at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College London, which we all attended, called Innovation Design Engineering, um, which is this in- transdisciplinary program where. Lots of different people from different backgrounds come together and sort of approach um, challenging local and global issues using design and engineering. Um, and we came together in our second year and we started um, looking into the textiles industry. And we started looking into the textiles industry. And three of the large issues we saw, especially from an environmental and sustainability point of view, um, was. the the overconsumption of precious resources, be that arable land or fresh water. Another one is the overproduction of plastic and polyester based um, materials which um, don't have a healthy end of life. And third was the contribution to climate change through the massive production of um, CO2 as well as the destruction of biodiverse environments. And so we set about looking at ways where this might be approached from innovative solutions from right at the root of the problem. And what we discovered is that 66 to 80% of an apparel brand's total environmental footprint comes from its textile choices. And so only by making a huge impact at the start of the supply chain, are you able to make larger impact further down and create lasting and resilient change for um, for a long period of time, and actually start making some impact on the environment. I think that that that's that's where we first sort of formed the idea.
5: Yeah, we just pretty much set out to look at plant other plants that we can use with similar processes that are currently using the textile industry to make plant-based products. But then with, um, not using the same resources
4: and not being as resource heavy and kind of rethinking the entire supply chain. I think the one important thing to highlight is that we all came from very different backgrounds. So we have uh, Nelly from a business strategy background, then Julian from a mechanical engineer, one Finn from a chemistry and then me from A design and creative consultancy so then having like all these very diverse kind of uh, knowledge gave us more tools to approach the these pressing issues from like a different perspective
0: great thank you for that um and i guess just like just to clarify for our listeners essentially your objective with salty co was to come up with a textile a fabric made out of plants which is potentially I presume biodegradable and sustainable and what would that fabric be used for?
5: Well when we started off we looked at a number of plants but we also looked at a number of outcomes so we were really open at the beginning we were looking at plants that we could turn into woven textiles into non-wovens and then also fiber filled materials as an alternative to Um, like insulative uh, materials. So, and we were also looking at the textile industry as a whole so slowly we started looking at where we can input our technology that would have the most impact and that's why we looked at the apparel industry Um, and so right now our first product is actually a fibre filled material um, as an alternative to goose down or petroleum based synthetic fibre fills.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah, I think um, what's important to recognise is also, we kind of, so we kind of mapped out the existing supply chains of what contributes to the um, to the textile industry at the moment, and that essentially came down to plant-based products, which generally are uh, gr- uh, grown in arid areas of the world, using huge amounts of fresh water, um, and usually taking up Precious arable land, which of course our expanding populations are in need of for food production Um animal based products which are resource which are co-products of resource heavy cattle and flocks, And then also these these petroleum products as well. So what we were trying to do was kind of Take what's a new approach. What's an approach where we can Recognize the value of natural sources and still and keep them healthy and promote them and promote biodiversity and promote the use of more abundant resources whilst simultaneously creating a stock for our material production and that's what sort of led us down this direction of looking at regenerative agriculture and um, production of what we now call planet positive textiles
5: And we noticed that a lot of kind of sustainable solutions right now are looking at these problems as an aftermath and trying to kind of solve it after the fact but what we were trying to prove i guess was how can we innovate a new supply chain that insets this directly at the beginning um which is why we looked at yeah regenerative agriculture and how can you take all of these different facets into account when you're um setting up your supply chain
2: Yeah, so instead of using arable land, we try and find spaces of unarable land or land which has been damaged over hundreds of years that needs to be regenerated. Instead of using one of the 10 or so plants which are grown massively in monocultures all over the world, we're looking at innovative new plants which are able to capture large amounts of carbon Um, whilst also providing us what we need for our production as well Um, and then all the while keeping in mind that within our processing and within everything that we do um, from ensuring that we're not impacting um, um, the nesting of birds during our crop harvest all the way through ensuring that we use minimal resources throughout our innovative processing as well we try and keep this idea of sort of planet positivity and promotion of biodiversity and natural environments as much as we can throughout what we do. So why would you guys
1: say that that is an important factor in the fashion industry?
2: Um, So I think it's a critical factor within the fashion industry because there are various ways we need to embrace change when it comes to the the fashion industry at the moment and the problems that it's facing there's to a large extent a need for slow fashion which we're definitely proponents of as well and completely completely encouraged but at with very little sign of demand of fashion and textiles slowing down we need to find ways to insert sustainability as much as possible into the existing supply chains that are already um, that are already there and already overproducing materials that instead of currently going to landfill and staying there for hundreds or thousands of years, we need to find ways to innovate um, new ways and new materials to do that.
5: And I think brands want it too and so do customers. So it's an extremely damaging industry but there is a demand for change. And so uh, us coming in and trying to kind of create a supply chain that is completely opposite of that is how, how we're actively healing. We're trying to find ways to actively heal and not um, tell people that, you know, the fashion industry is bad, but how can you use it and use how much impact it has? Cause it, if you can create a supply chain that is actively healing, then you can have a great deal of impact because the textile industry just has a lot of power overall um across like industrial use of resources and so um i think the demand was another part that's because we started off as a material science company not necessarily looking at just the fashion industry and just naturally we realized that um fashion brands were gravitating towards us because their customers were in need of this and also within their own ethos they wanted to start implementing this change earlier on in their process rather than kind of just as a um yeah like I just after the fact so yeah so the the demand played a big role in us recognizing that it's it's
4: perfect timing right now to implement our innovation but I just wanted to add that we also need an idea that is viable at scale because today sustainability is set in like very mid to high end kind of markets and we need to make it quite affordable if we want the the textile industry to make a shift towards more sustainable options as well. So that's also what we were looking at, how if we have like this massive lands of of arid land or resources that are abundant, but we're not really using them for this industry, how to like kind of reverse that and and yeah, make new choices more innovative and then
2: address well this industry. And I think one of the challenges with that scale as well is recognising that there isn't singular solutions to um, uh, sustainability and there aren't singular solutions to material design and material innovation, especially when it comes to the sourcing of the the biomass which we use to create our our natural fibres. And so that's why we try and adjust the... Methods of um, regenerative agricultural practices, which we use, according to the environmental needs um, of, of that space, and so by doing that, we're able to make larger impact.
5: Yeah. And I guess it's kind of our job to do that in the back end, but then make sure that we're integrating into the apparel industry and into these fashion brands, so that they can it, it's seamless for them. Because there are a lot of solutions out there, but it's not easy to implement for the brands and so they kind of look past it really quickly. So it's kind of our job to work on both sides.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you touched upon this earlier, um, but how would you explain the properties of the textile? What sort of um, material is it most similar to? So well,
4: Our first material, um, it's called Biopuff, and it's a fibre that works as an insulation material. Uh, And it's an alternative for goose down or synthetic fillers. And the properties that it has is that it has a good loft. It has a cluster structure, which is very rare to find in insulation materials. Like a lot of the synthetics are trying to replicate this cluster structure, which is similar that down has and why it is very effective because it has, it kind of like traps um, air in, in different gaps and pockets. And so that allows it to be very warm. So yeah, I would say it's warm, it has a good loft, it's also plant-based and uh, hydrophobic. So the material has natural waxes. um, And that's something that we want to enhance and not really like try and put uh, any chemistry on top of it. Uh, So if we can maintain those natural waxes, then it's just like hydrophobic and water repellent by nature. Um, so yeah, and
5: it's very soft and light as well. It's, it's yeah, I wish we, we were in person so we could get, get you guys a sample to touch. Yeah, and I just very quickly wanted
0: to backtrack slightly because something that you've spoken about is supply chains. And I'm just curious to know, where do you necessarily like position yourself within the supply chain when you work with, let's say someone uh, like someone in the apparel industry? Do you, are you responsible for the supply chain all the way from the start of growing the plants all the way through to manufacturing and then distribution? Like where are you within the supply chain?
5: That's a good question. So we were a material science company and we work B2B but um so if an apparel um brand comes to us we are responsible for um from the point of planting uh, growing the plant to then extract uh harvesting it manufacturing it into uh, the end product textile and then um sending that directly to the apparel um garment factories or um manufacturing facilities that they have for their garments but we're not farmers But because of the type of agriculture we're doing right now is so new and the type of, I guess, um, we're setting up this new supply chain, we're really involved in innovating what this needs to look like for farmers. So our job is to partner with the right farmers to kind of um, figure out what the optimum growing conditions, what the optimum harvesting uh, methods, and um, just, yeah what the best like ways of doing this are so we're, although we're not farmers we do start directly at the beginning we form those partnerships we have a network and a community of farmers that we work with in different um areas that we're looking at and then we kind of design the best ways to start um growing these plants and then harvesting them to then take into our facilities to um turn into our textiles
2: yeah what well, i guess what we're trying to do is, we don't see ourselves as always being a large part of of that process, especially once we get to much larger scale, but what we're trying to do is help cultivate a new industry of um, environmental land practices, which use some of these methodologies. And to do that at that stage, we do need to have a larger role in that part of the supply chain. However, there's huge movements at the moment um, towards uh, more sustainable practices. Like In the UK, um, well, in England alone, I think there's 240,000 hectares of low-lying peatland, which is in need of regeneration and recovery because it's producing... Um, I mean global peat areas produce a sixth of all man-made CO2 whilst making up less than 3% of our land mass and um, even then, even in England alone there's um, DEFRA task forces and government schemes which are really promoting the use of more regenerative and responsible land practices. Which, who we're working together with to try and encourage this new industry that will hopefully then become a um, a new source of um, healthier and healing um, plant supply.
5: And I think it kind of goes back to what Julian mentioned previously of there is no single solution to sustainability, and that's our approach for agriculture. We know there's not a single way of um, implementing regenerative agriculture. So it's kind of our job to come in and work with these farmers to create because we have a crop that has value and we can turn this into something that is um there's high demand for in the market then it's kind of we're, we're creating these different blueprints of ways that we can replicate this and expand this type of agriculture that will then align with these initiatives and practices that are already set in place um to restore and kind of regenerate spaces
1: so you said about working with farmers um, are these i presume in the uk um
3: yeah so we we're keeping things quite um local for now we we have begun by um our initial projects are um they look more like sort of conservation projects we've um we, in order to kind of develop our materials and, and meet sort of small scale uh lines and orders we're working on conservation projects to source our our biomass so looking at areas of, of wild growth where um where kind of plants need to be controlled and um kind of restoring that kind of sensitive natural habitats in that way um and um going forward to farming projects we we are looking at UK based projects um as you say it's a very kind of developmental process at the moment and we are um working on all levels to kind of improve the supply chain improve the kind of farming methods and also um um just kind of show the, the um yeah to, to sort of show the um value in these new kind of methods of farming but we can kind of um, create that value for um, farmers and prove that it's uh, that it's feasible at scale then it's one lot more it's a much more attractive option to kind of adopt these practices um so we're, we're, we're kind of getting involved in um uh, in, in research-based projects uh, in the uk we have one projects in england um who are looking at um, various methods of of production of crops on these kind of new um, new land areas or newly kind of um, regenerated land areas, um, and that allows us to learn a lot about the the farming process um, for the kind of future when we're scaling up and looking to apply those kind of methods in uh, in different areas across the world. But there's there, yeah globally there are there are multiple kind of Different um, different countries facing these similar issues. So uh, if we can kind of, you know, prove the concept locally, um, there's a huge potential to sort of scale uh, through Europe and then globally.
5: Our plants also do grow across the globe, so that's really exciting to know. And the forms of agriculture we're looking at, um, people are kind of implementing the same initiatives. Um, So yeah, there's definitely potential for scaling, but we need to make sure that we prove it through our kind of research um, projects before we turn those into supply
2: yeah and just and just to add a little bit um, more kind of context and examples to what what we're doing so in the UK we're looking particularly a lot of polluticulture which is the um, regeneration of wetland environments to reduce the um, and start to sequ- uh, reduce the production of co2 and start sequestering carbon instead um, um, but then, for another example, yesterday we were at a roundtable discussion with a water production um, services company that's based in Portugal who are having difficulties with um, highly nutrient rich wastewater production from their facilities. And we can also work with them to start creating environments using things like halophytics species which are able
3: or species of plants which are able to absorb a lot of the nutrients coming out of these facilities and whilst um,
2: providing them with a natural service also sequestering large amounts of carbon and providing us with the biomass. So that's, so that's like a couple of different examples of the way that we try and create um, bespoke solutions for, um, for our
3: feedstock
0: Yeah, and I guess something that, I mean, we've spoken about this before we started recording, so ESG, and I think with uh, farming, that is very relevant. I guess, like, if most of the, you know, plants that you're growing are in the UK, then I think that that's different, because obviously in the UK, the standards of, for example, labour that farmers um, implement within their schemes is very different as opposed to perhaps if you go abroad. So, you did mention that you are planning on expanding, and you know, because the plans that you use are do grow abroad. Um, how then potentially are you looking at tracking that the way that they are grown is also ethical and sustainable?
5: That's a really good question. And to answer that, I want to kind of go back to the core of our mission and what we're trying to do and our approach to everything we say planet positive textiles but we we want to create a planet positive supply chain and that includes um, environmental stewardship it includes ethical practices um and kind of planet positivity throughout the entire supply chain through the products but also the practices and processes we use and so that's not just for the plant the the spaces we work in but it's for the people as well so the way we're going to be tracking this is um, the same way we approach a, a piece of land, and we kind of ask ourselves, how can our type of what type of agriculture can heal this land, this damaged land, and what ty- How can our plants bring positive impact to this land? We do the same when we go into new spaces. We we want to understand what what is the best use, the best impact we can have for that community of farmers. How can we help them um, heal their land, or how can we um, kind of create a new uh, industry here a new revenue stream as well so um that type of tracking and monitoring whether it's looking kind of at the sustainability side the life cycle analysis we do we do that also on our um, processes side to ensure that the partners we have are secure um, and the the communities we work with we're actually listening to what it is that um they need so um yeah that that Approach doesn't just look at sustainability; it's really the whole thing, and I think that that goes back to our mission and what, why we see so many problems in the textile industry. It's because you're—I think people are only looking at one aspect of it, whereas you know, a scheme like thinking about the ESG that that kind of comes into this um, the same thought process of having to look at the entire um, the, like all these spheres and looking at the entire landscape around whatever um, business you you kind of bring into the
2: yeah. World. Yeah, absolutely, and I think our practices and our strategy um, aligns with helping communities who are experiencing or who are more likely to be experiencing hardship from the land which they're that they're working off and potentially living off because. As we're not necessarily interested in the um, plots of and the parts of the world which are you know, incredibly healthy and that are producing large amounts of crop and things like that. We help the, we're, we're interested in helping the communities and helping the environments where they're seeing crop, crop cycles and crop yields reducing year on year as the land which they're growing off has become um, more damaged and less productive. Um, and I think it, and I think another part of our kind of like ethical standards and environmental stewardship, it's another reason why we have to be a large part of the front end of our, uh, or the back end of our supply chain early on as well, because we need to ensure that the practices are in place that, um, are meeting the standards, which we hold at SOTICO as well. Um, and We're very interested in using um, as much of um, as much technology as we can as well to ensure transparency throughout our our supply chain Um, if we're definitely interested in incorporating um, methods whether that's using blockchain technology or otherwise to ensure that we have assurances of the quality of our product from start to finish. Um, And uh, we're obviously, we're we're still very early on. We've been incorporated just over a year now. So we've got a long way to go before a lot of these structures are in place. And we're definitely a research, we're still a very heavily research-based organization. But I guess what we do is we try and stay as open to collaboration and new ideas as possible. And we've heard some really exciting things out there as to how we might be able to approach some of those challenges.
5: And even though we're quite young, um, the traceability, we're even taking that into account now. So soon when we kind of launch our website, you'll be able to see the partners we're working with, you'll be able to contact them, you'll be able to visit the farms if you wanted to. Um, So it's, we're putting everything in the forefront, there's really no secrets on that front and that and I don't see why that would have to change if we go anywhere else
4: either. Yeah, and that's one of the main reasons that we decided to start locally, so that then we can have a bigger input, and of course we don't have all the answers right now, but we do, have a, we do want to start monitoring the, the tools used as well as the practices from the beginning, so then we can learn how to improve that right now, as well as how to expand it in the future to a more global locations
1: so obviously you guys are a um science company how have you managed to commercialize and what sort of projects are you working on
5: material science companies often um take a really long time to launch and to actually make their way into the market because materials naturally just take a long time to um, develop and so r d often takes from like five to ten years and that's just for one product so I think one thing that really set us aside from what else is on the market right now is that we were able to, um, re- grow quite quickly. And the way we did that was because we were kind of sitting in between having these research and development projects, but also, um, we were, ma- we managed to kind of pick one of our first products that had a lot of demand in the, in the market. And we realized that, um, these brands were coming out to us, um, wanting to find ways to start implementing it into their, um, into their supply chains. So, uh, what we started doing is, is working with these brands, um, from, you know, a prototype stage to test our material directly with our customers and gain feedback and then bring that back into our, um, research and development. So that was really useful because instead of waiting and sitting, I guess in a lab and like, perfecting the material and then going out to the market we really started early on and started working with the brands directly working with their garment factories um um testing it out with users and just figuring out exactly what how we could bring this into their supply chain in a seamless manner but then also what were the properties that they cared about most so that was something that helped us a lot so currently we're working with a handful of brands on. That range from mass market to um, kind of smaller size luxury brands to kind of sports and athletic and urban so um, what we're doing is we test our materials um, with them and we're starting to uh, develop kind of at a smaller scale and we're going to be launching actually um later this year with uh, one of our first partners um and f- with a capsule collection that will uh, that we'll kind of put out there as a, as a first um look into our brand and, and seeing it like visualize into actual products and then go from there so yeah does anyone want to add to that
2: <laughs> no I, I think i think that's great i'd like to, I'd, 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 I'd like to say something um maybe about like to our success, companies usually having to take a long, long time for material development um, instead of um, being able to align it with scaling as well and working with partners. Um, I think part of the reason that we have that success is the interdisciplinary nature of us as a team, And but also it's, I would say it's almost never been easier to Collaborate with so many different people at once, and we have so many different partners that we work with all the time. Um, from uh, the University of Leeds to Advanced Textiles Department, um, to um, uh, the Future Fashion Factory, Innovate UK has been supporting us. Um, and then, alongside that, we've we've worked with um, various um, other. Um, exciting organisations such as the Blue Bio Alliance, which is based in Portugal, and I think we've been really luck- privileged and lucky, and also grateful for the huge amount of support that people have been sort of willing to give us and provide us as well over our, our journey over the past mm-hmm. past year. Many of whom we've never even obviously met in in person, and but we've. Managed to construct this network of individuals and organisations who, when we work together, are able to um, uh, to really make massive changes and developments, massive progress in short periods of time.
5: And I think that approach is really necessary right now for what um, what we need in, in in the textiles industry and for slow fashion as well, because everything changes so quickly and and environmental needs are changing quickly and and customer demands are changing quickly. And to do that, it doesn't make sense to, you know, work on R and D for 10 years straight without even talking to your customers. So I think what we're managing to do, but it takes a great deal of, I guess, um, detail and being able to kind of move slowly through it is to balance this, the, the kind of our commercial side, um and supply side with our research projects that we're running simultaneously because we're also looking into other products other materials but um it's kind of balancing all of these different roadmaps together
1: yeah and you've obviously been very successful at that because it's mental how much you've grown in a year from going from the development to having a product launch at the end of this year is quite insane
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah it suddenly felt insane at times but um we but had a lot of support we, we yeah we we, we yeah. Had, had a lot of support we had a really good foundation um that has r- really helped us kind of launch pad we also um i mean i don't know um if if you have listeners who also um Know, young entre- entrepreneurs or early stage startups and companies, but it's um, it is it's a great time to start a company right now as well at the moment. And there is loads of different um, competitions and incubators and accelerators um, to apply for and be a part of um, that help create structures that turn ideas into companies um and therefore ideas into reality as well and um i mean we were very uh we were delighted to win the vogue, first ever vogue youth challenge last year and which was really kind of skyrocketed us and and moved us into a kind of a new stage of our company as well um, and yeah, mm. if you just I guess just keep them going every, every day and working maybe some weekends and <laughs> um, um, and it it really does start snowballing after a while.
5: And yeah. we're growing really quickly, but um, that's I think not what will determine kind of the resilience we want to build into the supply chain. I think what determines that is work, aligning kind of all of the needs, whether it's the farmers, the brands um the textile industry and just material science as well and what what technology is out there and the barriers they're facing and bringing it to the market so it's about kind of listening to all, all of these different um categories and like uh, people we're working with and then feeding it back into it so it's a lot about monitoring tracking feeding it back into our innovation and constantly going through that cycle not just necessarily scaling and moving really fast
4: so yeah yeah and we came up with this idea in 2019. Uh, it took us three months to develop it more or less. And then we went directly into an accelerator, which Imperial College helped us a lot because it was the Venture Catholic Challenge. And that kind of like helped us look into the gaps that we were lacking in terms of a business, a, a real professional startup. And so the good thing is that we went through this this. Accelerator, and then you know this was around March, and then on October we went into the other accelerator, the Blue BioValue and so it was a huge amount of development and growth that we went from one place to the other, and it was right at, at a perfect kind of time to do two accelerators, because then at the beginning it was about identifying these gaps and knowing like the direction of the company, and then the second one was about. What we actually needed in terms of like making it happen and executing this startup, um, and then all well, together with all the the awards that Julian was mentioning, and uh, the grants that we've had, we've been able to make this possible. And uh, Julian mentioned if there are
5: any of your listeners that are entrepreneurs or just students or you know young people interested in sustainability, I would say it's also really good to just reach out to people we have a great team of advisors that have just been working with us from the get-go because they're so passionate about these problems and they want to to take part in, in the solution and so um just because you may not come from a certain background you know none of us come from material science but working together we're able to kind of approach this and with the right expertise um, kind of execute it. So, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to people, um, because people are, care about these problems and, you know, have the expertise
4: and they're willing to share. I mean, you need to be very proactive because it doesn't run alone. Like, you yeah. really need to make the company happen. <laughs> I
0: guess this leads us on quite well into one of our concluding questions. Um, what would you say your future goals and ambitions are for Salty Cohen? Where do you see yourself in five years?
2: I think when looking at the future of Saltico, it's important to balance what we understand is very important in terms of needing rapid change in regards to the climate emergency and environmental factors, which you know, with everyone is very aware needs to needs to change very quickly, and balancing that with not creating another industry which is which will eventually start contributing more as well so it's balancing this idea of slow growth with the need for large impacts um and and um, in terms of the climate so in, in in five years time i personally would like to see s- supply chains a supply chain in existence that's resilient and that we've measured over the past five years and seen that it is actively healing the environment going to some of the places which we're visiting for the first sort of few times over the past year or so and seeing these environments and going back and visiting them in five years time and seeing literally feeling how much healthier they are as well and seeing biodiversity return to areas alongside um being able to supply this growing demand for more healthy and friendly materials. That's what I'd like to see in five
5: time. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head for that um, mm-hmm. but also we are b2b but we're working with these companies to raise the awareness and educate around planet positivity as well so i think i would also love to see consumers understand the difference between sustainability versus planet positivity and the difference between companies and setting this into their supply chain versus kind of trying to offset it with schemes afterwards so yeah it would be great to see um, people understand why a product is planet positive and why it's creating that impact as well. And alongside that resilience, um, being able to be flexible to change and to, to to be able to kind of evolve with what our our planet needs.
3: Yeah, I think I think people are so much more willing to learn um, more about where their products come from. And whereas, like you know, a couple of years ago, people just would be glad like, you know people might just use the cash all term like sustainability now you have customers asking for regenerative agriculture at the source of their products which is like crazy you know people have this much more knowledge all the time as to like what the important issues are around these products and then um, you know where the actual root of the problem is and how they can buy to kind of um you know make more responsible choices um so I think if we can um if, if we can sort of you know increase that knowledge and promote these issues that are um, perhaps um you know, less or known about at the moment, then that can sort of um, transfer into people's choices in, in many kind of areas as well, in terms of um, the things they buy and the choices they make in, in, in their lives. So I think, um, yeah, potential there.
4: And from the material side, we definitely want to see biopath in a lot of brands, but also we want to start developing new materials as well. Uh, so we're leaning towards either non-wovens or wovens that could actually uh, have this type of fibers and this type of practices as well
2: Yeah, stay tuned
4: <laughs> yeah brilliant thank you so much and obviously
0: for everyone who's listening we will link um all of the socials of salty co below if you want to check them out and definitely watch the space
2: thank you
3: very much thank you thank you for joining us